All right. Well, I'm excited for what the Lord's put on my heart tonight. And I want to just begin with a question. And I want to just go ahead and invite some participation here. Um, You know, don't yell all at once, but go ahead and just feel free to to yell out. Um, What words would you use to describe Jesus? Awesome? Okay, I like that. Holy. Faithful. What would you say? Son of man. Gracious. Okay. Forgiving. Okay. Gracious, humble. Those are all awesome. Awesome. I would throw, yeah, loving. Um, I would throw in there too, fearless. It's one of the pictures come to me. My mind, you know, Jesus just, you know, he set his face like Flint to go to Jerusalem where he knew he was going to be crucified. He went into the city. He went to the cross. You know, earlier in his ministry, he goes in and overturns the tables in the temple. Just, you know, fearless. Also generous. Jesus was very, very generous, um, extremely compassionate, and I think we could even use this one, irresistible, because, man, people were just drawn to him, and we still are today. And it was interesting because the reaction of the world toward the followers of Christ in the first century there in Jesus' day was really one of two extremes. On the one side, you had those who just hated them, hated those who followed Jesus. But on the other side, you had those who just saw what was happening in the followers of Jesus as being irresistible, and they wanted to join them. And and there was something just so special about those that were following Jesus that they were just drawn to them. And we see how in the book of Acts, a band of of 11 men, you know, the 11 apostles, that their impact, they spread the word of God and the message of the gospel and the impact of the gospel just spread like wildfire. And we read in the book of Acts that they turned their world upside down in the face of great persecution. The name of Christ grew, the persecution grew, and I love there in the book of Acts when we read the early church, I think it's in chapter five, they're praying in the midst of the persecution coming down, and they're not praying, Lord, make it stop. They're praying, Lord, give us boldness. There's something just radical that was going on, and when we get to the place of about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when persecution under Rome is coming down just in a heavy, heavy way, and people in Rome, Christians in Rome, are being fed to the lions and being being put before the gladiators, and people are in the stands, and the Christians are lined up, and you read in Fox's Book of Martyrs that as they're lined up there singing, they're worshiping, they're praising the Lord, so to the point where people in the stands were so moved that they got up out of their seats and joined them and became Christians and went to their death. The name Christian there in the book of Acts really came to be known as those who were Christ-like, Christ-like, like Jesus. Now, I want to ask you, the question tonight, what words do you think the world today would use to describe Christians? <laughs> There's one. I, th- I think it's, it depends on who you're talking to, right? Hypocrites. That's one. 
narrow-minded, loony. Okay, evangelist, you know, on the positive side, you might get, you know, oh, they're religious, they're nice, they're kind, they're gracious, they're devoted. But on the negative side, and we get this a lot, hateful, self-righteous, shallow, phony, pretentious, hypocrites. And, you know, as I think about that, I, I think, what went wrong with us? What went wrong with us? You know, there's a lot of unrest today in our world. And this is such an interesting time, I think, in our country. Remember on November 13th of 2015, we had the terrorist attacks that took place there in Paris. And for the first time since 9-11, the whole world stopped. Facebook and Instagram were inundated with Pray for Paris, and a lot of people took the French flag and they, they put it over their pictures. In fact, some of them still have that even now. But you know what's really interesting is every single week in the Middle East, there's a terrorist attack. But we don't hear about that. Or, you know, if they do get reported, we've sort of just grown accustomed to hearing about that happening over there. And we think of, you know, that place is kind of strange and, and it's kind of scary over there in the Middle East. But Paris, man, that's close to home. Because when we think of the UK, when we think of Western Europe, we think they're a lot more like us, Right. You know, they're a lot more westernized. And so the whole world, it just stopped. And here in the United States, maybe, you know, like we hadn't since 9-11, we paused and we grieved and we were like, man, that is just so horrible. And then three weeks later, we had San Bernardino. And then we're thinking, this is getting really close to home. And people today are afraid. And then we look at the election. We look at all these debates and, and what's going on. And, and, and I think probably most of us would say that none of these candidates really look special. I mean, we could find problems with all of them, right? And then on the Republican side, you know, we have Trump is in the lead. And everybody's saying that our country is just so fed up with the norm of the politicians that they're like, we'll try anything, you know? We're desperate. We'll just try anything, even if it's an arrogant, rude, foul-mouthed, bombastic billionaire. And I can talk about him like that because he's not the president yet. Um, <laughs> but many, many Christians are just freaking out worried about our country and some out of love because they love our country but others are just plain scared well the lord led me to the book of hebrews for our time tonight and hebrews is about jewish christians living in the first century who because of persecution that they were encountering because things were getting really, really hard to be a Christian at that time, that many of them were thinking about forsaking Christ and going back into Judaism. And the whole point of the book of Hebrews is that the writer of Hebrews is basically saying, why do you want to go back to 
those things that are they're shadows. The whole point of Hebrews is that Jesus came to fulfill everything that was laid out, that, that was the picture that God had laid out for us in, in the law and in the Old Testament and in, the, in Judaism. And that Jesus is a better high priest and he's a better leader and he's a better sacrifice. And so his whole point could be summed up in this way. Why do you want to go back to the shadows when you can have the real thing? And so that's his point in writing. And when he gets to the 11th chapter, he is addressing this issue of living by faith. And he's going to lay out these heroes of the Old Testament, these men and women of faith, these men and women who lived for God in the face of some really difficult times. Let's begin reading in verse 1. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders, okay, this is all the people he's talking about that he'll be talking about later here, obtained a good testimony. Pause right there for a minute. He says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the word hope means an absolute expectation of coming good. It's something that you can count on, that you can bank on. It speaks of an assurance that what was promised is going to happen. Now, all of us, we can relate to this because we've all experienced this. Think of your first job. On your first job, you know, you agreed to a a wage or you agreed to a salary and, and you worked those first two weeks looking forward to and expecting at the end of those first two weeks that you were going to get a paycheck. You worked believing and expecting it was faith that that what you had agreed upon was going to be delivered. That's faith. Faith is that expectation or that confidence that God is going to do what he promised to do. And walking by faith is simply living your life every single day as if God can be trusted. That God is going to keep his promises. Now, the interesting thing about the list of names here in Hebrews chapter 11 is that they all lived by faith. It talks about Abraham and Moses and David and Joseph, and it goes on down the line of these heroes of the faith and says they all lived by faith, but check this out. Most of them died never seeing the promise fulfilled. In other words, they never got the check, okay? They did their time, they were, they never got the check. The promise that was given to them was never fulfilled. Take Abraham. Abraham never made it to the promised land. He never saw his lineage become this great nation. Moses never made it to the promised land. The prophets never saw the Messiah. They prophesied that was coming to save. They all died before the promise was fulfilled, but they lived like it was a present reality. But here's the thing. They didn't just die. If you look at verse 35, it tells us many of them were tortured They were scourged or beaten with that whip that had glass and rock and metal in it. They were imprisoned. They were beheaded. They were sawn in two. Heavy stuff. As the writer of Hebrews writes these words, it seems like 
like if we could, if he was speaking that there would almost be a pause right here. And we could just hear the emotion in his voice as he's thinking about what all of these heroes of the faith, what they've endured and considering their journey and considering their faithfulness and just considering the caliber of these men and women. And then he writes these words in verse 38. And the world was not worthy of them. That's a heavy statement. And the world, he says, it wasn't worthy of them. As if to say or imply, the men and women in this list had so much less evidence to look to and so much more to lose, and yet they were faithful in following God. And it's as if he's saying to his Hebrew audience that was struggling in their faith, And wondering, is this really, really worth it? As well as us living as Christ followers here in 2016 who are freaking out about our world and our economy and our election. And that statement that he makes, and the world was not worthy of him, is his way of saying there was once a version of faith in God that resulted in heroic living. That there was once a version of faithfulness to God that caused others to stand back and wonder who in the world are these people? Who are these guys? Who are these gals? That there was a version of faith in God that was awe-inspiring. And that's really the point of this list here in Hebrews chapter 11 is that this list is to be our example They're to speak to us that, hey, living for Jesus in tough times, it can be done. It can be done. Now, verse 10 tells us a key for them, that they were focused on a city that was without foundations, whose builder and maker was God. In other words, they weren't focused on their immediate circumstances. They were focused on a bigger prize, on heaven. On what came next? And so he writes in verse 39, notice, and all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. They didn't receive what they were living for, aiming for, hoping for. They never received it. But then he says this, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. God having something better for us who would come later. And here's the idea. Those in Hebrews chapter 11 were looking forward and were faithful, believing in the promise of the coming Messiah. But they only had the promise and never saw the fulfillment. But you and I, we, on the other hand, on this side of Calvary, on this side of the resurrection, we're looking back and we see how the promise was fulfilled in Jesus. We see how the promise was fulfilled at the cross, that Messiah came to die to give his life. We see the big picture that the Messiah was coming to rescue people from a greater enemy of sin and death and hell and how the promise made to Abraham was carried out, yes, through his physical descendants as they became the nation of Israel, but even more so by the fact that Abraham has been called the father of faith. 
That Abraham, we read in the book of Romans, it says that Abraham was justified by faith. That he heard what God promised to him, he believed it, and God declared, you are righteous, Abraham. Paul in the book of Romans lays that out to say, that's us. You and I, all of us who have put our faith in Christ, we too have been justified by faith. And we are descendants of Abraham and Abraham's descendants. He never saw this. But his descendants through faith number in the hundreds of millions through the centuries. And the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, they looked forward to Jesus. And what they saw was very unclear to them. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. But they believed the promise and they remained faithful. And they died having not fulfilled the promise. And we today, though, can look back to Jesus with great clarity And we understand, right? We get it. We see the big picture. We see how the promises have been fulfilled in Christ. And so we look to this list in Hebrews chapter 11 as our example. And all the prophecies about Jesus have been fulfilled. And both their example and the fact that the prophecies have been fulfilled should inspire us to live with confidence. Because we know what's coming. We can trust Jesus because of what we've already seen fulfilled. But despite all the evidence, so many Christians today live in fear. And a lot of Christians today are freaking out over the condition of our world. And I think something's wrong with that picture. And I wonder sometimes... If Jesus, you know, looks at us freaking out and all worked up and he wonders and maybe he thinks you guys live in the United States of America and you're freaking out about who's going to be the president and the economy. Have you forgot who you're following? Have you forgot that I rode into Jerusalem And I rode down Main Street knowing that I was going to be arrested and I was going to be beaten and I was going to be crucified on your behalf to pay the price for your sins. But I was going to rise again from the dead and I promised to never leave you nor forsake you and I'm coming back again. I think he might say to us, what are you worried about, church? What are you worried about? Why are you freaking out? Why are you all worked up? And on top of that, he might say, and think about the Christians in Syria and the Christians in Pakistan that are getting killed every single day for their faith in me. And Christians in China that can't meet like this. They have to meet in secret. Or Christians in North Korea, same type of thing. You know, when we think of that, I I think it, it can be kind of embarrassing. The testimony of those who endured in Hebrews chapter 11, is meant to inspire us. And so based on that testimony, as he goes through, and we're not going to read all the names, you can read on your own, but story after story after story who remain faithful, never ever seeing the promise fulfilled, he then says in chapter 12, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, and he's referring back to all those names, all those people in Hebrews chapter 11. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us grumble and complain and whine about our worlds. Let us hoard our resources just in case. 
Let us put our Bibles, you know, on the shelf and build bomb shelters and purchase ammunition. Let us blame the cops and blame the president and blame our teachers and blame our mamas and demand our rights and build a wall and call each other names and tax the rich and play it safe. Find somebody to sue and pray that Jesus would come so we just don't have to suffer. That's not what he says. But that's the way a lot of Christians act. It's crazy. Now, what does he say? He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's what he says. Let us run. Laying aside the weights. Laying aside the sin. The things that are holding you back. In other words, we can put it this way. Let's get serious about running. Because picture an Olympic runner, right? He doesn't show up with weights. He doesn't show up with ankle weights on, or he doesn't show up with big baggy sweats and, you know, that are the crotches hanging down to his knees. No, I mean, they wear these skimpy little obscene things, you know, that they're going to run in. It's like, please put some clothes on when you're done, you know, kind of a thing. But it's like everything just laid aside. They're serious. Let's get serious. Let's get serious and run. Run this race with endurance, perseverance, looking unto Jesus. And church, listen to me. Our world's getting crazy. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Church, listen to me. If the Lord tarries, chances are living here in America, being a Christian is going to get harder. The lines are already being drawn. Look to Jesus. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Because wouldn't it be awesome if people around us were to say concerning us, the world is not worthy of them. They're different. There's something different about those guys and their outlook. I'll leave you with this and we'll enter into our time. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 3 and verse 1, you don't need to turn there, but he, he would say this. Again, speaking to this group, this is what he calls them. He says, therefore, holy brethren. That's who they are. That's who you are tonight. God looks at you, you're holy and righteous. That's how he sees you. Not because of what you've done today, but because you're in Christ, covered in his blood. Holy brethren, holy sister and Partakers of a heavenly calling. That's your destiny. Heaven. And I like to think of it this way. We're partakers of a heavenly calling. Heaven's calling constantly, every day, reminding us. This world's not your home. There's a bigger picture. Living with, like they did with people who are looking for a city without foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's the idea. What are we to do in the meantime? Then he says this, consider the apostle and high priest of your confession, Christ Jesus. 
Consider Jesus. Focus on Jesus. The one who started this thing for us and the one who's going to finish it for us and the one who's going to carry us through. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for this word. That, Lord, I believe you just wanted us to hear this evening. As we look at the world around us that just is going crazy. Lord, we want to be men and women, Christ followers, that are just sold out for you. So Lord, tonight, we want to just say right off the top, forgive us for being afraid. Forgive us, Lord, for freaking out. Forgive us, Lord, for getting just sucked into the chaos of everything going on around us where the people around us are just so focused on the horizontal plane. All the circumstances, all the chaos, black, white, who didn't get invited to the Oscars, and just the nonsense. Lord, we know that things are strange. But we also know that you have promised that you're in control of this mess. That whoever ends up being president is who you're going to put in power for your purposes. And so, Lord, we want to look to you. And as right now we just begin to just lift up our voices, lift up our hearts. Let's just declare tonight, once again, in a fresh way. And church, I want to encourage you to sing at the top of your lungs. Let's be bold tonight. And let's just cry out and declare here in this place our allegiance to our King. We turn our eyes to you now, Lord. Receive this time of worship.